Good morning, everyone. And we are live here on No Vision Internet Radio. We are starting streaming both on YouTube and Facebook. And we're also streaming the audio on our website, which is www.novisioninternetradio.com. Today, we have a very uh, unique show. We're going to be talking about the new release uh, site and release program. And uh, to today's guest in the first part of the show will be Mr. Uh, Colt DeMores. I hope I'm saying that right. He's the executive director for El Paso Norma, which is N-O-R-M-A-L. We have come here. And then also, um, we're going to have Ms. Veronica Carvajal. She is a candidate for mayor, of course, and an advocate in the community and lawyer. And then the second half of the show, we're going to be talking to Mr. Danny Samora. He is a candidate for precinct number two here in El Paso. And then just uh, so I can let people know that our upcoming schedule Right now, we have uh, up to October 10th. Well, actually, we have two weeks missing. But next week, we're going to have Ms. Uh, Linda, Lindy, Linda, Lida, I'm sorry, Lida Garcia. She is running for judge of District uh, 338 Court. Uh, the following week, which will be September the 19th, we're going to have uh, former Mayor Oscar Leeser. And then the, the October 10th, we're going to have Congresswoman Veronica Escobar. So right now, we have two weeks that we need to cover. But we'll, we'll do that. That's fine. Well, good morning, Mr. Colt and Ms. Uh, Ms. Carvajal. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm uh, doing great. Good morning, Ms. Carvajal. How are you, ma'am? Well, Ms. Carvajal is almost Ms. Carvajal is almost like family because I've had her on multiple times on the show. And when this issue came up, I saw it. Uh, I know that Ms. Uh, Ms. Carvajal had been a great uh, component, a proponent for this. And then she introduced me to Mr. Colt. So we're going to talk about the new uh, sign and release program that was approved by City Council in May, and it took effect October 1st or September 1st. But I'm not the expert. I'll let the experts speak on this. And uh, first of all, real fast, uh, both uh, my the guests, can you just give a quick background on yourself, please? Sure. Um, I started El Paso Normal in 2014. Um, I did after. Uh, let me see the light. There we go. I did after um, I watched my mother go through her battle with cancer. I lost my mother in 2009, and. Um, my wife was actually battling cancer at the time. Before my wife uh, was diagnosed with cancer, we were um, in the process of setting up the normal um, so I could educate El Paso and give El Paso a voice. Um, but my wife was diagnosed with cancer. I put her on hold, and after she finished her chemo and radiation, I continued, and we kicked off in uh, 2014. Um, since then, um, I brought Joe, uh, Joe Moody on board. Um, the month after we kicked off, I took a, a bill to him that was going through Washington, D.C. at the time. Uh, the city, not, not, not Congress or anything, but it was a, a local um, decriminalization measure that they were trying to pass, uh, making it a civil penalty for $100 uh, for anything under an ounce. Um, and I took him the bill and I told him, you know, if this is good enough for our nation's capital, it should be good enough for Texas. And um, he revised the bill uh, so it would work with the Texas leg legislature. And ever since 2015, he's filed that bill and fought very hard for it. Um, I've been I've been trying to reform marijuana laws um, or educating the public for 10 years now, uh, working actually within the state of Texas for the last six. How about That's yourself, Ms. Carvajal? <clears throat> Thank you, George. Uh, I'm Veronica Carvajal. I am a candidate for mayor. And, you know, as I look at our 
um, city and county's policies and often they dovetail. Like in this case, the El Paso Police Department is um, one of the law enforcement entities that um, is arresting people for marijuana possession, um, even though it's a it's a state law, right? So we have the county and the state prosecuting, but there is a, a relationship between these two entities. And so as I've looked, um, because of my candidacy, <clears throat> more and more at these issues, my goal is to be your mayor and to um, be able to administer um, public policy in a way that is smarter and is actually helping us break away from systemic injustice in every form. We know that people, kids even, who are, who are you know, shoved into the school to jail pipeline um, and, and adults are predominantly going to be poor. They're going to be brown. They're going to be black. Those are the folks that are most impacted when we have um, any kind of rule like this. And so my, my goal as we talk about this further is, is always three things. Is it good for the public to have this rule? Does it make financial sense in terms of our public dollars? And lastly, how does it impact, impact economic development at the individual family level and then at the city level? And so I think that this particular um, new, new law is really important in addressing those three things. Well, let me ask you a question regarding incarceration, the rate of incarceration for low-level marijuana position. I mean, does it, that is a money drain for the county, isn't it? For the judge, I mean, for the jails? When it comes to uh, incarcerating the, the, the inmates and whatnot? Yes. Or, Cold, or I don't know if you want to talk about, about numbers, and I can talk about the process. Sure. So, um I don't have the organization who provided the statistics right now, but it's estimated that um, that it costs $120 a day to hold an inmate in county jail. Um, the other fees associated with it would be the money and time spent by police arresting and transporting, and then of course we well we're still in the we're still going to court with what we have now but so just to alleviate the time spent um on the police having to arrest uh spend a couple hours on paperwork and transport um and then keeping the person out of jail um is going to be a big alleviation when it comes to money um because so many people are arrested here for this small for this you know non-violent offense um so there, it's money spent. Now, now doing it this way, it's it's gonna in turn save money. Um, of course, I know there was an argument in the beginning when we started pushing for it that the the city's not gonna make any money off of it this way, and that that is true. We're not, but we're not trying to sit here and make money off of off of, of offenses, especially people that are nonviolent and uh, don't have any victim to what they're doing. Um, but it does save money. So that's, that's a big factor. It saves money and it saves uh, resources so they can be focused on more, um, more offenses that have victims, you know, burglary, rape. Uh, I know when, I, when we started pushing for uh, the team and I, when we started pushing for site and release, there was a whole bunch of unre uh, untested rape kits. And, you know, these are crimes that have victims and people that are sitting out there thinking like, well, am I ever going to get justice? Is anything ever going to happen? Meanwhile, instead of investigating these rapes or burglaries or crimes with victims, they're out here arresting those people that 
you know, that possess a plant that grows from the ground. So it's going to be a big alleviation when it comes to money spent. Now, let me ask you a question regarding uh, Miss, uh, I don't know, Miss Carvajal or, or you, uh, Mr. DeMars. Um, what's the the requirement? Because not everyone's eligible for the sign and release, right, ma'am? I mean, there's has to there's certain criteria they have to meet, isn't there? Correct. Um, so you have to be 17 or older. You have to be a resident of the county. Um, you have to. It has to be your only charge. You know, there can't be any other drugs involved or other offenses. Um, you have to. Let's say you've you've you have uh, you've been to court for running from court. Uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not showing up, not showing up to court. If you have some kind of charge or something like that or shows that you might not show up to court, then they're probably going to arrest you because if you didn't show up once, you're probably not going to show up again. Um, And I forgot, I think there's one or two more, but they're not, they're not all that stringent. Um, It's what's allowed by the law that actually allows uh, the officers to cite and release for, uh, a and B misdemeanors. So it's not like it's something that the city of El Paso is doing. It's just what the law in Texas says. Now, <clears throat> Ms. Carvajal, your perspective as an attorney, wh- how does this impact the judicial system, the court systems? Really? Let me back up a little bit, George, because I think the last requirement is that you have to have valid ID. Um, and as we know, yes. our current mayor opposed a um, municipal ID um, which really impacts a lot of people who are undocumented, um, who are homeless, and who are just unable to get valid state ID. And so that might be a hiccup that needs to be addressed. I do worry about the amount of discretion that's allowed um, to to uh, police officers. But um, in terms of your your question, so basically this is a ticket, right? So if you are um, if you have marijuana that's under four ounces. It would typically be either a class A or a class B, depending on how much you have. Um, but instead of getting arrested, you have to do a ticket. And like, you know, a traffic ticket, you have to go to, to court if you, you know. So this the with this program, all of these cases will be heard by one judge. And that's Judge Ruben Morales, who was really an advocate for this. And I think in, in many ways, that's great because it will um, streamline the level of expertise and knowledge that you need in one court if this were to go to all of the um the courts at law or the the criminal courts you would have to educate all of the judges about the procedure so i think that is a big win um the idea is that you have a citation you still have to show up to court now when it comes to my thinking about this as an economic development type of thing when you are um the alternative to this what we have what we had before september 1st with you getting arrested, you getting booked, you having to figure out if you're gonna, you know, if there's bail, how you're gonna post bail. Um, a lot of people are missing work, right? Every time you get arrested, you, a lot of people in our community are at will employees. And so if you miss work, you don't have paid leave, you get fired mm-hmm. um, or you take unpaid leave, but at, in the worst case scenario, you get fired. And so now you have someone who is um, unemployed and now has to face these these fines and this criminal charge. Um, when it comes to financial aid, you have to report if you've been arrested. The same with um, empl- you know, getting new employment. So it really sets a person back. Um, with this, you have a ticket that you um, have to follow all the way through by going to court, showing up and, and following that process. And I hope that it's done 
um, the right way that it is streamlined because even then that could also be problematic. But going to court for a hearing that is already scheduled and has a set time is probably not going to consume a day or days of your life. Um, it will hopefully not interfere with someone's life as much as being arrested would. And you know that makes sense because in in, in the long term, in the long run, if someone gets you know arrested, they have to go overnight see a judge get bailed out. And that takes you know the overnight, and so going to court is totally different, right? And that's in regards to time. But um, let me ask you both. Um, during this process, I know Ms. Carvajal, you you actually you're one of the, the the individuals that approached the city regarding in discussion with this, right, ma'am? About this, I'm sorry. Um, no, I didn't give public comment about it, but I am. I have been in support of it, especially during COVID. I think that there was a really great piece written by two public defenders. One of them was Octavio Dominguez about the need to prioritize crime and, and arrests during COVID. Um, and that's something also that I had asked city council to do back in March, you know, to really think about why we're arresting people at a time when um, socially distancing and limiting contact is super important and where we know that in other cities there were clusters of COVID that came up in jails. Sure. In sure, sure, sure. Um, uh, certainly, it's, it's, I've been bringing it up in terms of that. But, well, um, the, the reason I was asking is because I know in, in, in today's um, society regarding the pros and cons about marijuana, you know, if you're against it, you are it. And not only that, but the 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 old uh, notion that you nobody know, wanted the the evil weed and the, the evil thing and this and that, but now that more people use it and research has been done, as a matter of fact, Mr. Cole, if you, you could probably affirm this, thirty three states allow or do have medical aid um, or medical marijuana have approved medical marijuana, and eleven states have allow you know recreational, and I think the reason why is because there's a lot of medicinal benefits to it. Because I am myself. I like, I don't do marijuana because of my employment, but I do see the, the benefits of having an alternative, alternative medication or method to, to aid in either you have, uh, like, what you, like you said, Mr. Colt, about your mom. And my mom, she passed away earlier this year, and she had a lot of um, um, neurosopy in her legs because of diabetes, and it would hurt. And she, I mean, she was on the most powerful drugs, uh, Galvatan, I think it was called. And they still want to stop. And she, to the point right before she had passed away, we were looking into getting at least some kind of oil to help minimize the, the pain. So I see the benefits coming from a medical perspective, especially with someone with a disability. So can you talk a little bit more about that, Mr. DeMorris, about the impacts, how, in my opinion, now my opinion, folks, it does benefit individuals that, do, that cannot get aid to either for inflammation or medication or um, pain medication. Yeah, well, first we have to understand that um, cannabis has been used medicinally for at, at least 6,000 years. Um, we, the first, the, the date that we can pull it to us finding it is 10,000 years ago. But there was a mummy from, you know, 2,000 years ago that was found with it and found to have breast cancer. And it was found, the cannabis was found in her tomb. So up until um, 1934, no, up until 1942, cannabis was on our on our pharmacopoeia. You know, it was in people's medicine cabinets. It was, well, up until 1937, it was in people's medicines cabinets. You know, we started using it here in America in the 1800s, later 1800s. And um, it wasn't until greed took over that cannabis was pulled out of everybody's lives in 1937. 
you know, and there's many reasons why, and that's a whole other story, but medical marijuana has, has, marijuana has always been used as medicine until 1930s. So now, uh, starting with California in 1996, I mean, 1996 and, you know, 33 states later, people want it. People, people want to use it. People want that medical freedom. People want the choice. You know, there's going to be some people out there that want to use pills, that want to use what the pills doctor prescribes, pharmaceuticals. But then there are people that can't take those, that those, you know, affect in very horrible ways. A lot of, com a lot of commercials we see on TV today tell us what a pill is going to do to you <laughs> and what, you know, what it could be used for, but definitely what it might do to you, yeah. you know, and people don't want to go through that. They want something that's natural, something that's going to help them and, um, you know, something that's not going to harm them. And the thing about the, the, the marijuana is that to the, if you're, you're using it reasonable, if, I mean, cause I've never heard of anyone that literally died from marijuana. Now, granted, they say it's a gateway drug, but hey, that's if you you know, there's many discussions regarding that. And like I said, in my opinion, you know, there are some benefits to it, you know. And like I said, people need to do their research. And before we before you go, Mr. Uh, Mr. Demorest, I know you have to leave right now. You have an event right now at 12 o'clock. Can you talk a little more about that real fast? Sure. So um, we're gonna we're um, I work for Pecos Valley Production out in Southern Park. Um, we're a medical cannabis dispensary. Uh, as of right now, we don't have um, any medicine in in the facility. We're still waiting on a couple more things from the New Mexico Department of Health. But um, we will be having a – we're going to have doctors out here today on site for New Mexico residents. Uh, if you're already a card holder, we're going to have um, – the doctors here if you need a new renewal if you're not a card holder we're going to have the doctors here so you can talk to them and if you are an out uh, if you hold a recommendation from out of state um you can come in and we will enroll you into the new mexico medical the reciprocal patient program and uh, that way you should, you can access cannabis in new mexico oh, what's uh how, where can they go for that where's the location it's going to be um, in southern park 1925 appaloosa and it's it's kind of across the street, not from the front of Western Playland, but the side of Western Playland that uh, Southern Park goes down. The street's right on the right on the side of that. Okay. And now going back to the sign and release program, uh, I guess uh, uh, opinion from both Ms. Carajo and you, Mr. Demoros, do you ever see the, the date or the day that uh, Texas becomes another state that legalized marijuana? You want to take this one first? I mean, um, I think that, you know, the, the more that we get progressive people elected into office, and when I say progressive, I think of people who are thinking smarter about the smarter and more just about the way that we implement law. Um, the fact is that the things that Colt has, has brought up really, uh, we have to address the um, prison industrial complex, right? The fact that prisons are a big moneymaker. The fact that even if you look at the fees uh, associated with the class A's and class B misdemeanors, we're talking about up to 180 days uh, in state jail or up to a year for a class A from fines $3,000. Like we are banking on, on people's um, imprisonment. Um, we're creating jobs around this industry. We're creating jobs around people losing their freedom. And more than that, like I said, losing economic development opportunities down the road. And so 
we really, I always say, just follow the money upstream and downstream. And, and who are the pharmaceutical companies donating to when it comes to um, political uh, leaders? Um, what is really the rationale behind any of the rules that we have? And who are the victims of the rules that we have? Um, and in this case, I think it's, it's it, you, you start to see some pretty obvious patterns of why it is that we're so entrenched in this um, thinking. And some of it is racialized, no doubt about it, right? The fact that you have people of color who are bearing the brunt of these policies um, and who don't have the political power um, is indicative of, of a lot of systemic racism entrenched in a lot of um, our, our rules. Um, and when people don't care, that is also, I think, indicative of, of racial, um, maybe implicit, but it's still racial bias. Um, so I think that the more that Texas um, turns blue in a true way, right, because there are a lot of Democrats who are still anti these policies, but if we really are able to push, and even some libertarians and Republicans to really think about this in terms of people, in terms of like what Colt was saying, that if you can reduce someone's mental and or physical pain through this, why aren't we doing it? Why are we, um, you know, not... Uh, encouraging people to find something that will alleviate their pain. And the thing is about that, just so people know, uh, I am putting, posting comments uh, so you can see both uh, Mr. DeMaris and uh, I'm putting comments from Facebook on the screen so you can see them. Um, there is a question about, is this available for Roku? I'm not sure what that meant. Do you know what that means, Mr. DeMaris? Um, I do not. Okay, I'm just wondering if that's like a legal term or what kind of term. I, I, may, I wonder if it's um, a medical condition. I haven't heard of it. Um, but can I touch on the Texas subject real quick? Sure. Okay, um, but Ms. Carbajal said, oh, I see the comment. Um, oh, can it be viewed on Roku? They're asking if the stream could be viewed on the Roku. Oh, server. I'm sorry. No, it can't. No, I'm sorry. I that, no, that now we get it. But uh, to add to what uh, Mr. Carbajal just said, because that she laid it out perfectly. Um, but to, you got to think of who has the power here. So, in majority of states that have reformed their marijuana laws, either medicinally or or for recreational purposes, it was done by the people voting. Uh, they passed initiatives, and it was the people that had the power. In Texas, we don't have ballot initiative and we don't have uh, we can't do petitions We're we're left at the mercy of the people that we elect the people in power and um, the people that control our lives with the laws that they make and pass. So um, it, it oh, yeah, so you can watch it on YouTube uh, through Roku. I see a comment. So okay. sorry, sorry. but uh, um, so in Texas, none of our laws has cha have changed for the. If, if it were left up to the people, if the people had power, we would have medical marijuana, and I'm pretty sure we would have legal recreational marijuana. But we're left at the mercy of lawmakers. So, um, if, if Texas is going to be last, it's because of the people we keep putting in the office. Well, you know, one thing I have to say real fast, uh, so like, I'm not sure you have to leave right now, but uh, the, the, the thing is, you would think lawmakers will see the benefits, the financial benefits. Like, for example, I remember back in the day when Washington State first initiated the recreational marijuana, I think it was in the first six months. Now, I'm wrong, could be wrong now. I think it generated over hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. And I think that would be really beneficial for Texas to help with the, you know, with 
deficits we have here in Texas. So I don't really just see. Because I know back in the day, the, the concept was, well, we can't tax it, so that's why we're not going to legalize it. But now it can't be taxed, so I, I just don't see why Texas doesn't have jumped on board regarding, you know, making well, it possible. And so that's like I said, my opinion. Yeah, you got it. You got to think. Yes, it's going to bring in a whole bunch of revenue, a whole bunch of tax dollars. Uh, you know, we're talking millions upon millions. Our tech, the Texas economy is huge compared to these other economies that are bringing in, you know, multiple millions of dollars. But even though it will do and bring in so much revenue for the state of Texas, right now, politicians are lining their pockets by pharmaceutical companies. So they're the ones making money. Mm -hmm. Now, if we legalize it, it takes that money out of their pockets. Of course, it brings it to the state of Texas and to our revenue, but it takes it out of their pockets. Cool. So that's something that we've got to fight. That's why it stays illegal because of the people that are making money off of it being illegal. You know, it, it, it's going to take money from their pockets. True. You're right. That's and where we got to, that's the big thing we got to see. And that people don't realize that the pharmaceutical companies, they actually pay me. I mean, I mean, people probably know this, but pharmaceutical actually pay companies or pay doctors to write out prescriptions. So, and you, you've seen this, I've seen it. I've gone to my doctor and then one time I told him I had a, uh, I had anxiety and cause you know, due to my vision loss and he just wrote me out a, a prescription without no blood test, no nothing. And I went home and I'm, that made me think, I'm like, wow, he just wrote me a prescription for this. And I looked it up for the medicine and it had all these side effects. And I'm like, that kind of got me thinking, like, wow, this guy just wrote me a prescription for nothing for this powerful narcotic without even doing, you know, files, you know, for, for blood tests and whatnot. So that's what people need to see that, you know, when you have, you know, bureaucracy where people are making money off of this, especially uh, fruit companies, you're going to have a long road. And that's what yeah. we mean. I do appreciate what you've been doing, Mr. Morris, of making this, of advocating for usage or legalizing uh, marijuana. Because let me ask you one more last thing. What do you say to those individuals that say this is a bad thing, that marijuana is a gateway drug and, and all this negative notion? What do you say to them? I know you've had that question. Yeah, well, it, it, and it, it's, it's common. It's very common. Um, for one, who, are, who is anybody to tell anybody what they can and cannot put into their body if they're not hurting anybody else? True. No, no victim, no crime. Uh, number two, it um, you know, alcohol can be argued as the gateway drug. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times, especially in the culture, like around in our city, uh, a kid's had a drink of alcohol from a that, from a parent from a birthday party that all the parents are drinking at. You know, by the age of nine or so, you know, so alcohol can be a gateway drug. A lot of people are finding that they can use cannabis to pull off of harder drugs meth heroin um alcohol you know it, it helps them uh get back to a healthier lifestyle so it's more of an an exit drug for a lot of people um a big thing that they see are the statistics of how many people are in rehab for marijuana well one reason that that is so high is because these people get caught with it get placed on probation, they might come up dirty in a UA and the, 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 the probation officer is like, well, you can either go to rehab or you can go to jail. What are you going to pick? You know, you don't want to go to jail. So all these people are picking these rehabs. So it's boosting these rehab statistics up to show that a whole bunch of people are there for marijuana. Well, a lot of them are there because they don't want to go to jail, you know, sure. and it's an alternative to jail. Yep. So 
I can sit and argue all day if somebody wants to say it's bad and the only thing that they can provide is their opinion on why it's bad. They can't provide facts. It's never killed anybody. It doesn't, you know what I mean? Well, we have a whole bunch of scientific studies that show the benefits uh, for many reasons, whether it be cancer, epilepsy, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. Let me tell you real fast on that, Mr. Uh, Mr. Remind me of this. I have a friend of mine. His cousin or some relative was always was having seizures, folks, four to five times a day. I'm just constantly a young little kid, constant seizures and seizures and seizures. And he had called me, and we're talking about something else. And then weeks or months later, sometime later, we spoke again. I asked him, um, how's your family member doing with the epilepsy? He goes, you know what, George? You're not going to believe this. He bought, um, what do they call CBT, uh, Mr. DeMars? He, they bought it, mm -hmm. put two drops in the morning and two drops at night. And guess what? That that the kid, the little boy, went from five to four seizures a day to one a week. Mind you, mind you, he had gone to to physicians, he had gone scans, he got medications, he even went to quad it. But I'm like, wow. So that right there, that let me know, you know what? There are some benefits to that. That can you know it's it gonna impact everyone the same, but if it helps, hey, I see why not. Yeah, I know of cases of like Alexis Bortel. She used to live in Round Rock, Texas, and they were big. Uh, she, she at the time she was like eight or nine years old, and they were big advocates. Her her state representatives knew who they were. She was known in in, in the legislature, and um, she would have seizures right here in Texas. And one day she had a seizure that was just so bad that her parents picked up and moved to Colorado. And since the day they stepped foot in Colorado. She's been taking CBD and THC oil, uh, Haley's Hope, and she's been seizure-free for now like five I mean, or six years. Wow, that is so cool. So, I mean, just so, I, so if, can someone purchase these products from you, sir, or how do they, can they purchase these products? Arts? Go ahead, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, what, can they purchase what? Can they purchase these products from you, like the, the oils and whatnot? Yeah, so CBD can CBD only can be bought in Texas. Um, it is legal throughout the nation right now. Um, but anything that is THC, it has to be in a legal medical state. Um, New Mexico's right next door to us. Um, you know, I, I did. If 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 people feel comfortable with it, they can uh, try to get into the New Mexico program. We can help them, guide them, uh, give them information on how to do that. Um, you know, and it, but it, it does remain illegal in Texas and in, in El Paso. So we it, people just have to be careful, you know. But when when my wife was sick, I did things that would ne would be considered illegal uh, to help keep her medicated. So, um, you know, it, it's just what, what people feel like taking the risk of, you know. Um, How can someone contact you? Um, so they can do it through Facebook. It would, they can look me up through Facebook, Colt D. Morris. Or um, the El Paso Normal Facebook. Um, oh, I was supposed I to put that. I apologize. I'm sorry. I was supposed to put that on the screen. I told oh, you that's that. okay. That's okay. okay. Um, so yeah, my face, my Facebook, or El Paso Normal Facebook. I'm also on Instagram. Um, yeah, I like that. that. That would be. Or I mean, if they want to come down to Pecos Valley. Uh, we're just doing a soft opening today. We're not open every day, but we're hoping within the next couple of weeks we'll be open every day, and you guys can come talk to me. 
Okay, great. That's, uh, Mr. Moore, I do appreciate you taking the time to educate us. And uh, Ms. Carvajal, um, let me ask you from, um, do you think um, having this site and this program, have you heard anything from, or both of you, have you heard anything from law enforcement regarding the impacts? Well, um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to I'm going to just answer this real quick and then head out. Uh, it's not going to be long. Um, but um, I saw I know in the beginning they were hesitant. They, they weren't really for it. But I saw a quote the other day from an officer in some publication where they were talking about how much it would save uh, the city. And, and, and their whole attitude had been turned around on it. So that, that's a good thing. But uh, I would love to get with you two again uh, so we can go over a whole other uh, theme. I'm sorry I have to run today, but we're about to start getting ready. But, yeah, it would be awesome to get together and talk with you guys again. Mr. DeMores, you're, you're more welcome to let me know. We'll give you the whole hour if you want so that, that this platform is to give out information to the community. So you're more welcome to come back. Awesome. I, I appreciate that. And, Mr. Carbajo, uh, I'll get with you. I want to get with you. Um, I love that you know about the school to prison pipeline. I mean, that's something that I've been fighting against for many years. So um, I love to see somebody that's running for office that educated on, on, on the social justice of cannabis. Absolutely. You guys Thank have you a great day. Thank you, Colt. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Mr. That was Mr. Colt DeMoris. He's the executive director of Normal, N-O-R-M-L. Uh, go ahead and reach out to him on Facebook. Uh, they do have, like I said, you know, this a, the conversation about legalizing marijuana in Texas is something that seems really needs to be picked up. The reason why is for individuals like myself that have disabilities that I feel like a benefit from the use of, of, of marijuana in, in the medical uh, environment uh, to address their issues because not everything is fixed by medicines, folks. Medicines do have uh, consequential effects that you know, either damage the liver, damage the heart, damage this or that. And like Mr. DeMoros, DeMoros was saying, you see a, 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 med, a, a commercial for a medicine and half of it, or most of it, is for the side effects. But Ms. Carbajo, um, I know you have to leave soon too, but I want to talk real quick about you, ma'am. Um, your grassroots uh, campaign regarding uh, being our next mayor. Uh, how can someone reach out to you, Ms. Carbajo, and to donate? Because I know right now, during this pandemic, you really can't go out there for say and, and knock on doors and you know campaign in the usual fashion. So how can people help you, ma'am? Well, okay, so one of the things that we are doing is we are leaving door hangers for people. And we have um, hundreds of volunteers who have signed up and we need more people to just show up and, and do the door hangers. Um, it's a great time for us to be in the same space. We meet at a park and so we're socially distanced. We have these beautiful Vettel for Mayor masks and uh, that we give out to our volunteers so that everyone is safe and we have hand sanitizer and we're just leaving the door hangers that really spell out my priorities and um, so that's one way to get involved the other is to do phone banking that's also really easy to do from your house and we have a great software that we're using for that and then lastly um, contributing or buying some of our merchandise like the yard signs or the, the masks um, you know we based on the june 30th uh, reports that we had to submit my top three opponents um, have over $300,000 to drown out my message. $300,000, right, that they can pour into television. One of them is a Hyundai you know, car dealer, and so he, he already has commercials every single day. Um, and, and so 
we are doing this our way, which is basically the pledge that I took in the very beginning, that I wasn't going to take money from people who don't share my values. Uh, and my principal value is to use public money for the public good and to put people first. And mm -hmm. so that means that I've had to hustle and do things in a different way. I'm also paying staff. Um, I'm also putting money right back into the local economy. And I'm really proud of the way that we've been doing that. So we did, um, you know, start to get nervous this month because it's an expensive endeavor. Um, in some cities, you have a match. So the it, it, once you, you're a candidate and you get enough support, the city will help defray some of the costs of campaigning and becomes more of an even playing field. That's not the case in Texas. And so um, we don't even have caps on the local races as to how much money you can get from one particular person or how much you can sure. raise. And so that really impacts you know, the, the way that we're doing things. But this is ultimately about the ballot. It's about people actually voting. So it doesn't matter whether I have $5,000 or $1 million. If people are gonna vote, we're gonna win. And yep. we are doing everything that we can to spread our message. The momentum has been incredible. And um, I just feel that this is a time where people are really just paying attention and they're tired of business as usual. And so we, um, I think we're doing great. And even though it is very stressful at times to not have as much money as other people do, we have more people at the end of the day. And that's really what matters to me. And I think, you know, I haven't shied away from issues like site and release um, and transforming the police department um, and addressing COVID and things like that because we need to talk about them. And I'm very privileged, you know, I'm an attorney. And so I can look at these issues in a very different way. And I, I don't practice criminal law, but I did go to law school. So I remember my, my criminal right, you have something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and in addition to that, I know who to turn to. Um, I know people who are public defenders. I know people who you know work for, for um, other entities who can explain these issues to me and I can understand the terminology. I, can, I know what questions to ask. Um, and as Cole was saying, as someone who's been at legal aid, I really care about, you know, what's the value of having a rule or a law? That's really what we need to think about. What's the value? And then what's the harm of what we're doing right now? And the harm is, you know, it's, it's cost, it's very expensive to do things this way. And it also can limit someone's dreams, someone's opportunities for the rest of their life. Um, yep. How do we break the poverty of cycle is by helping people avoid these things, especially as we talked about the fact that this is a victimless crime. No one's ever overdosed from marijuana. And a lot of our veterans even use um, medical marijuana because they have paid the price for our freedom with their mental and physical health. Yep. So, you know. Can I interrupt you real fast, Ms. Carvajal? You just said something that I, I didn't really realize until right now, which is, I've probably heard it in the past, but and I want the viewers to just think of what Ms. Carvajal said about overdose. I have. The biggest right now is uh, the all the multiple states are suing uh, 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 pharmaceutical companies regarding um, uh, what's the uh, coding? What's the the um, what's the overdose? I'm sorry, I went blank. The, the there's um, so opiates include you know things opiates. like heroin, but also they're they're a component of very strong painkillers. So if yes. you're in a car accident and you hurt your back and you get a prescription for an opiate. They have a high tend uh, a medicine that has an opiate component or ingredient. You have a, a very high risk of becoming addicted to that medication. Oh. 
addictions are, are terrible, right? They're terrible, um, especially when it comes to, to opiates and the, the prescription opiate um, overdose in 2018 was nearly 15,000 people in the country. Um, and these are legal drugs, right? Yep. Legal drugs that are being used to kill people because of greed. Um, there have been all kinds of investigations about doctors that were, you know, basically selling prescriptions instead of being very diligent and careful about who they were um, prescribing these medications to. And as Colt was saying, if we take away the greed, we take away the greed and we focus on the science, we're going to have a very different set of rules and very different set of results. And that's what we need to, to focus on with everything that we do. But in this particular issue, yeah, I mean, opiate addiction is no joke. It is no. Um, it is taking away a lot of our people, either temporarily or permanently, and we need to figure out how to break that. And if it's marijuana, then it's marijuana. And let's do that in a way that's humane and that's smart. Um, because you know what, Tina, you know, I'm glad you said that, humane. Because, you know, at the end of the day, folks, I mean, I, I understand you see medicines. In some aspects, they help. But when it comes to pain and and, and stress and inflammation, sometimes certain medications don't help. Like my, my wife, uh, she'll, she'll attest to this. She'll tell anyone. She's been on medications for many, many, many years because of uh, her arthritis. Now it's starting to impact her uh, health-wise. And, and me and her have seriously talked about, you know what, what alternative men medicines are out there, like just uh, like Mr. DeMoss was saying, uh, if cannabis is the answer, maybe we should look at that because at the end of the day, I want her to be uh, in, not in pain and also have a, a healthy alternative where it's not going to impact her her uh, kidneys or liver or, or stomach or whatnot. And a lot of these drugs, Ms. Carvajal, I mean, they're, they're just dangerous. I mean, like, for example, I was, I was talking about earlier, the anxiety medicine. You know, if I didn't read the side effects and I started taking it, one of the side effects is you cannot go, quote, unquote, tur cold turkey because there's a uh, um, propensity for suicide. You know, suicide thoughts. I'm like, wow, he didn't tell me this when I, he gave me the medicine. Right. So, you know, so that's why I'm saying that you, uh, it goes both ways. Research, do the research when you take these medicines. And if cannabis is a good alternative for you and you feel you should, you know, use it. I mean, if it's, it's going to help you at the end of the day, I see why not. Now, like you were saying, there's other medicines out there like, or drugs. There's a difference now, folks, drugs and medicine. Drugs is like cocaine and crack and crank and all this stuff and then there's medicine for you know for diabetes and whatnot. But what happens is sometimes that line gets blurred and you're taking a medicine like Ms. Carvajal was saying from for pain and all of a sudden it filters into a drug where it's where it's an addiction. And I I I'll tell you this, I'll be very honest. At one point I was addicted to anxiety medicine. Uh, especially when I lost my vision, I was popping those things like candy, but then I started seeing the effects to myself, and I told myself, you know what, I'm going to stop. And, now, and I haven't. I try to do um, other stuff to distract myself from being anxieties. And, and um, talking about anxiety, Ms. Carvajal, running for mayor, and we're searching subjects real fast, but I, just wanted, I always wanted to ask someone this question. Absolutely. What's the anxiety level for you, like, <laughs> knowing that you're going to get slammed, you know, you're going to get this, or you're raising money, and so... What made you say, you know what, I want to take on this level of anxiety? Oh, I mean, God always wants to ask people, you know, someone's running for... Well, thank, you, 
No one's asked me this, George. Thank you so much for, for asking because I do want to demystify the process as much as possible because that's why we have the same people running all of the time because they aren't anxious. They are comfortable. They feel entitled to move on up in their professional life. And so it's, I think, and not to minimize, of course, it's stressful, I'm sure, for everyone at some level, but it's quite different when it's sort of like the next thing you were planning to do anyway. Um, for me, honestly, the most stressful thing is the fundraising because um, it distracts from what you're trying to do, right? What you're trying to do is, is learn, listen, and then spread the message of, of, of more than anything, hope, but also common sense solutions. And when you're trying to figure out like, how am I gonna pay the staff? How am I gonna buy materials? Um, we have invoices coming due. That is very yep. stressful. And I bet you, Ms. Carbajo, we have a comment. Can you, can you reach a question and, and respond to it real fast? Uh, I'm not seeing the question. Oh, here we go. Site and release, that one by Rene yes, Fierro. Yes, Site and release is a start, but if they really believed in their own rationale, then they would simp simply decide not to expend any resources on this. Let's be real. If the police steal your weed, that should be punishment enough. I mean, yes. Yes. <laughs> what, what can you say to that, right? <laughs> I agree. Thank you, Rene. Thank you. Yes, I agree. I mean that's true, right? I mean if they take away your weed, you're 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 in trouble. But you know what? Think about this, folks. If the level of of, of let's say drug trafficking in El Paso, especially being in the, the border region, you you know this better than I do, Ms. Carvajal. The level of drug activity in El Paso is heightened because we're near the border. And number two, if legalizing marijuana can reduce the rate of crime, I think that would help because, for example. Uh, drug deals going bad, shootings, stabbings, fights. Um, how many times have we heard about drugs going bad? We don't know what kind of drug it is, granted. But I think if we were to legalize uh, marijuana, that would uh, kind of impact that, you know, the drug trafficking. I mean, what do you think, Ms. Carvajal? I mean, is that yeah, a notion? I think that we need to uh, always, 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 as a lawyer, I've learned to make a distinction, right? That you don't go into this slippery slope and then it becomes nonsense and you start talking about, you know, legalizing crack or methane, um, methamphetamines. I think that, um, you know, let's keep it to what it is. Marijuana has had medicinal purposes, as Colt was talking about, that date back thousands of years. So let's talk about that and not talk about all these legalizing these other things. And, and that alone, what would that do? And as he said, it's, it's more of an exit drug than anything else where people can leave some of these really strong um, pharmaceutical um, uh, medicines uh, or pharmaceuticals, um, as well as these other drugs like heroin and um, other types of, of opiates and um, stronger drugs that are really debilitating and that don't really have any medicinal value to them. Well, you think about it, cocaine, heroin, all these drugs were man-made in essence, was, you know, mm -hmm. And look at marijuana. That's a natural that came from. And it, you, I had a guest one time, and he was telling me uh, he's from the reservations from the Tiwas. And he was telling me that his grandma told, showed him how to take the bark off of the tree, a certain tree that would help with his up his up his stomach. So what I'm saying is, there should be alternatives out there that could help legal alternatives like marijuana, where someone wants to choose. They're an adult. No one would rather choose this way of treating my illness either by pain or inflammation than taking this toxic drug me i do have uh since my car accident i've had some side issues when my side hurts 
I don't, I don't take aspirins because I know what it does to the liver. I, I sometimes I go in pain, but I'm not going to lie to you. If I might want to help me, maybe. You know what I'm saying? But my, but I can't take it right now because it's not legal and I don't want to lose my job. <laughs> you know? Right. But uh, anyway, Mrs. Carver, real, real, real fast before you leave, um, what can you say? And I've, I've asked all this client. This is like a kind of um, uh, just real quick thing here. I've asked all individuals to come on the show uh, um, this question. And I'm going to ask you the same thing in regards. What's the biggest barrier you, you see, Ms. Carvajal, coming from the coming out of the pandemic for the city of El Paso? The biggest barrier um, in terms of financial, in terms of health? Yes, recovering. How do we recover? What's the best way to um, recover? Because right now, you know, our, our employee, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, we, how do we stop the spread is, is really the thing, right? <laughs> yes, ma'am. How do we stop the spread? Because it's not, I mean, we can't think about like, oh, it's going to magically disappear in December. That's what we probably thought back in April. It has not, the numbers um, seem to be maybe slowing down, but it's not, it has not gone away. And I sure. think um, we need to, we need to just start over. Um, I think that we need to think about whether it makes sense to shut down, but really shut down because El Paso never shut down. Um, whether it's for you know, 15 days or 21 days or 30 days. And what does that mean in terms of how we're going to really help people survive that period um, in every single possible way, how we're going to enforce and how we're going to really tackle these numbers from spreading. Um, I talked about the fact that the Texas Medical Association put out a low risk to high risk um, you know, activity as well as, as location list and the city didn't operate by it. You know, um, high risk are bars and indoor restaurants, and those are open. And you, oh, can, they're call packed. Them in, you can call them to 311 all you want. You can call an emergency number and report them all you want. But the city is finally now saying, okay, we're going to enforce. Mm. After all of these warnings and citations, now we're finally, there's no excuse, we're going to go ahead and enforce. Oh my gosh, this is September. You know, <laughs> nearly six months from, and yep. so I think, um, I hope that the pandemic has shown people that we're not being governed by people who trust science um, or who are operating under common sense solutions. And they want to focus on gathering sales tax because the bars have historically been a high producing, um, you know, uh, industry or whatever you want to call it um, for, for sales taxes while people are still getting sick and dying. And let me tell you, those medical bills don't go away. The COVID medical bills are not free. You have to still pay for them. Um, the funeral expenses, you still have to pay for them if someone passes away from COVID. Um, not to mention like you being pulled away from your job or the physical pain of going through it. So it just to me has been very apparent that no one is, is driving the bus in a way that's going to take us out of this pandemic quickly enough um, or in, in the most smart way. So that's now, what I think, well, Let me ask you this. Do you think, and would you, if you're elected mayor, would you look into hiring a permanent health director? Because right now we don't have one. Um, because sure. you would, I'm amazed, think, but what do you think? I, I think that's important, but we can't hang our hats on any one basket, right? Like what's sure. the point of having a great public health director who's going to say, you need to do X, Y, and Z, and then the police aren't enforcing it. Sure. Um, or there isn't enough messaging, right? I did outreach right out of uh, college. That was my first job. What, how you tell people 
um, to do things and what you tell them isn't a one size fits all. You need to know who you're talking to. Some people just need information and they're gonna do the thing. They're gonna stay home, they're gonna wear the mask, they're going to sanitize if they leave a house. Some folks need enforcement. You need to be messaging and understanding that everything that you do is a message. True. When you're a political leader and you show up without a mask and the people see you without a mask, that is a message. When you fail to um, enforce crowds at bars or at Walmart or wherever it is, that is a message. And so we need to um, think about the fact that it's not a one, you know, getting a playing health director isn't going to do anything if we're not actually coupling it with all these other things, True. including providing the right PPE, including going to these cluster sites and saying, hey, nursing homes, you need to be protecting your staff as well as the, the people that are here. Um, the jail is the same thing. Um, and then providing support, right? Actually providing a lot of support for small businesses um, and to, to um, homeowners and renters so they don't feel the need to open up their business because they can't survive financially. Sure. And so it's all of the things, not just one, and I think it is foolish to think that you are going to just hire someone who's going to save the day. And that's a problem with a lot of our politics. We think you get one person in office and you're going to save the day. <laughs> no one is. No one can do that. No True. one can do that. It always takes a number of different strategies for different problems. True. You're right. Yeah, I mean, you can't. I mean, you can't say that any better. It's true. And before you leave, we have like three, four minutes, Ms. Carvalho. Um, now, if you, if you don't, if you can't provide information, that's fine. But What's this new thing about um, the CDC regarding the evictions? Yes, yes, yes. So that, I mean, it that made us, as, as a housing advocate, it made me very happy, but also very nervous. And we've been, um, you know, uh, people at Legal Aid have been looking at it. People nationwide have been looking at it. Basically, the CDC said that um, tenants, renters cannot be evicted um, until the new year. And that's as a... As a uh, health precaution, right? The CDC um, deals with um, with disease, uh, including the pandemic. And so they're saying, look, we understand that if you are evicted, um, you are likely to go into a shelter where you're going to have more contact with people and you can become, you can get the illness or become a spreader of the illness, et cetera. So housing, finally, the national government has said, we understand that housing is a health issue. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. And it went into effect yesterday. How it's going to get implemented is still up in the air. Um, there is not, uh, you know, I, I still feel very nervous about telling people like, don't worry, you can't be evicted because we don't know how the local courts are going to take it. So basically in Texas, um, evictions are handled through the Texas property code. And the counties are the ones that actually, um, you know, handle the lawsuits, the hearings, and then ultimately the writ of possession, which is how you're removed from your home. And that's a constable, right? The city doesn't get involved with any of this. It's all about the county. And so the justice of the courts are the ones that have exclusive jurisdiction over these hearings. Um, and we have actually a couple of hearings um, set for next week. And so some of our attorneys, not me, um, but other attorneys are handling those to see if, if this is actually going to be a moratorium that we can hang our hat on and tell people, don't worry. Now, here's the thing. None of this means that you are free from paying your rent. It also doesn't, as far as I know, mean that your landlord, if they have a mortgage, isn't going to get foreclosed on, because that's the other issue. If they can't pay the mortgage because you're not paying the rent, they get foreclosed on, you're gonna end up on the street anyway, right? Yeah, true. Uh, I mean, something, so to me, it's, like, it's a lot of unanswered questions, um, but there is a rental program available through the city and the county. 
people need to apply uh, through Project Bravo or through EP Rent Help. And I think that the landlords that were thinking like, I don't want to do this program because I have to do a 10% discount and I have to like not evict them for a little bit. Um, I think they might be convinced to do this program if it means that they can evict the person anyway. Yeah. So I think yeah. as a pressure point for landlords, it's become, this could be a really great tool to help people access that money. And that's, like I said, education is, is crucial to, for like, uh, with some, I'm not gonna get evicted or I'm not. So, you know, individuals just do your research regarding, you know, cause I know it's scary knowing if you're not gonna be evicted or not, if you're gonna be living in the streets. And I'm just amazed that the CGC took them, what, how many months, four months to, to duh? Like to really realize that, you know, evicting people into the streets is not a good uh, way to handle the crisis, the health crisis. So I don't know about that. But anyway, Ms. Carvajal, I do appreciate uh, you coming on. Um, you're more than welcome to ever come back on if you want, ma'am. You know that very well. I've had you on the show several times. Um, I wish you very a lot of luck for the, the coming uh, election, which is less than, wow, what, 60 days? Coming up pretty quick. And, early, um, voting. early voting. Early voting. October 13th. Uh, we really want folks to learn about the campaign and, and vote early for us if possible. Um, yes, you know, the last thing we want is people to find out about me after they've already done the early voting. And so we really are pushing um, for October 13th is, is a date where everyone should hopefully know about what we stand for and what we're fighting for. And yep. I so appreciate you, George, because you're always on top of the issues. Thank you for bringing up the evictions. Um, for bringing up all of these other things. I, you're, you know, I've told you this before, you're a community treasure and I so appreciate um, you and Lourdes doing so much for our community to just speak about issues that matter to everyday El Pasoans. Yes, so thank, thank you, ma'am, I appreciate that. Me. I do appreciate it. So, uh, well, Mr. Bajo, uh, we're gonna go and take a little break here so that our next guest in and God bless you, ma'am. And like I said, you're more welcome to ever come back onto the show, okay? Thank you so much. Thank you to, to you yes, and Lourdes. And bye-bye, ma'am. Okay, bye-bye. Well, folks, that was Ms. Veronica Carvajal. She's running for mayor number, per, she's on the ballot number five for the mayor race. Uh, if, you, if you like what you hear, pick her, because uh, she is running a grassroots organization. It is hard to raise money, folks, so if you could help her out, um, you know, please do that. But at the end of the day, you know, if we don't go out there and vote, it really doesn't even matter, right? So please go out there and vote for her, sir, uh, for Ms. Veronica Carvajal. And we're going to have Mr. Um, Daniel Zamora right now. So as soon as he comes out, I'll, I'll bring him into the show. But I'm going to go ahead and take a little break here real quick. And uh, and hopefully when we come back, Mr. Danny Zamora will be with us, okay? Mr. Samora, how was your week this week, sir? You know what? It, it <coughs> excuse me. It's been good. I've uh, I turned in my uniforms for the last time. Sorry about <laughs> sorry about getting emotional. Uh, I hear you. I hear you, man. I hear you. You know, twenty <coughs> twenty years is uh, 
20 years as a police officer and saying goodbye to some of your people you work with and then, of course, the great citizens of the Northeast. So it's, But other than that, it's been good, George. How was yours? That was good, sir. You know what? Honestly, I want to say thank you for your service. For 20 years of being a police officer. How many years? 20 years? 20 years. And you know what, folks? You know, we need to understand because, you know, and just as, let me get up. I'm going to get on the soapbox for Mr. Samara. Just give me a second here. Okay. We, we, we like to bash the police and that, you know, all of them are bad and, and, and this and that. But when you really understand, really comprehend what police officers go in, uh, experience day in, day out, because I have several family members that are police officers and sometimes they, they tell me. And, and, you know, we need to understand, folks, that it's tremendous stress. They need to make split second decisions to, to, to save, to protect their life and the suspects. And so when you see these things on TV that people are quick to post and there's, you know, so I, I just don't want to get people upset about me. I just want to tell you what, you know, police officers do give a lot. And I do appreciate Mr. Samara for giving 20 years, because that's a lot of years. It, it is, George. But, you know, and, it's. It's it's been wonderful. The citizens here in Northeast have been wonderful. You know, in my 20 years in the military, also I actually retired here from Fort Bliss. So um, you know, I practically I'm not from here. I'm originally from Gooding, Idaho. Um, that's where I was raised, and then the military brought me here. And of course, I met my wife here. And uh, of course, you know, when you when you marry a a, a woman that's from this culture, uh, my wife is Hispanic. You ain't gonna move her out of El Paso. <laughs> so, so I grew up. So I grew up in. I grew up in. Uh, I grew up in the Northeast. I uh, met a lot of families while I was uh, doing a lot of volunteer work with the kids out on the ballparks, the gyms. I did a lot of volunteer coaching for the youth when I was in the military, and then I applied with the PD. And yeah, I've been with PD. I, I retired from the military in 1999, joined the police department, uh, March of 2000. Mr. Mr. Zamora, I just want you to see a comment when about the post. Okay, what's the comment? Thank you for your service and blue. Miguel Palomar, it's been my pleasure. And thank you very much. It's citizens like you, why I, I do what I do and I, I enjoy the community because, you know, it's the community that make the police. Um, and the police are part of the community. And I, I, I deeply... Uh, keep that in my heart because it's 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 very true. Yes, it is very true. So, so I've been wanting to ask you these questions the whole week, and I've been wanting <laughs> to ask somebody this question for a while. What okay. are the duties of a constable? Okay, let me before I answer that question, George. Let me let me get this. When I was going around talking to people, people didn't even know what a constable was. Yes, and and that's sad. And a constable. And I want to make this perfectly clear. A constable is a law enforcement officer. He is a police officer. He has powers of arrest. Uh, he has powers to stop people, give citations. Um, but the main job of a constable is to be the bailiff of the court for the JP court, which in, in precinct two, that'd be Judge Brian Haggerty. So... Uh, their main job is is a bailiff for the courts and any other courts that may need their their services. Also, uh, they do evictions. They serve papers uh, to the citizens, not only in El pa uh, all over El Paso, but they can go outside the county also. So they have a little bit more jurisdiction than a uh, just a police officer within the city limits. 
So, so a constable can arrest? They can make a stop and whatnot? Yes, sir. They sure oh, wow. can. I didn't know yes. that. Okay, yes, sir. Okay. They and they can. They 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 can. They have powers of arrest just like a normal police officer. The thing is, they don't they don't do too much of that though, George, because they do a lot of civil uh, serving civil. Excuse me, serving civil papers like evictions, uh, people that are in default, um, okay. repossessions. That's what their that's what their main job is is on the civil side. But that doesn't mean, George, that deputy constables and the constables can't be more interactive with their with their community, which needs to happen. And that's that hasn't been happening here in the Northeast. And that's why I'm running. That's one of the reasons why I'm running. Let me ask you, okay, let me ask you this question. What, of course, you being a police officer probably impacted your decision, but was there like a singular thing, Mr. Zamora? Was it like a, a coalition of things that made you say, you know what, I'm going to do this. So is there something that, well, what made you, you run? You know what, there, there's a coalition of things, uh, Jordan, and I'll, and I'll hit on some of them. One of them was personal. Um, there was a deputy constable that came to uh, my residence at one time, uh, to serve papers for somebody in my in my household, um, not me. So I'll make my, that my, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> not me or my wife. Not okay. me or my wife. But anyway, um, and unfortunately, um, that individual and it, it was my son. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't at home, so the constable left the paperwork with uh, with a family with another family member here in my in my house, and that a family member. It, uh, actually was was my daughter, um, Erica. And unfortunately, Erica, she's 38 now, but she has Down syndrome. She's, she's very uh, independent. Um, but, you know, in Texas, all you got to do is uh, make sure somebody's at home and serve them the papers. Um, as long as they're 16 and above, that's how you do things. Uh, and I think I, I want to... I want to try to crunch that a little bit closer, make it a, a a better thing to where they have to show some type of positive identification when somebody's getting served to go to court. Um, so that's one that that's one of the reasons. Another reason, George, the twenty years that I've been on the police department, not one time did we have the constable that's on right now in precinct two or any of the other deputy constables come to the Northeast Regional Command where, where I work out of and ask, what, how can we be assistance to you? Because let me tell you something, George, the men and women of this city that wear the uniform, they're overwhelmed with a lot of calls. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of civil calls that we shouldn't be going to or that need to be referred over to the constable's office. Well, that's another reason why I want to run. I want to try to fix that issue because, like I said, the 20 years that I've been at the Northeast region, all of them's been here in the Northeast. I've I've been fortunate to do my whole 20 years with the citizens here in the Northeast. Wow. So, not one time did we have a the constable come in and introduce themselves, or the deputy constables come say, "Hey, this is my number. These are our numbers. Let's exchange and all that. Share information." so we can help each other that hasn't been happening and that's one of the that so that those are the a couple of things why i want to run um so well let me let me share another experience with you i called the office uh 
one time because I came across uh, an incident that I wasn't sure how to handle because uh, it was a civil issue. Um, I spoke to the constable at the time, um, and the constable said that they he would get back to me. Well, about two weeks passed. Well, in between that time, I did my own research. Uh, I, I self-teach myself uh, a, a lot of ways, um, and I found the answer I needed. So I called the uh, into, I called the constable back, and I told the constable, hey, look, I already found my answer. I appreciate you. He said, oh, okay, thank and he hung up. So wow. what kind of what kind of service are <laughs> is that is the constable's office or any constable's office for that matter giving to our community if they're giving that same stuff to another law enforcement agency? That's not right. Yeah. Our citizens deserve better. Our citizens deserve to know who the constable is, just not by name, but by face also. And I've spoken with a lot of people that knew the person by name, but not by face. They don't even know who their deputy constables are. I don't, and you know what, you're right. I recommend that in our district, our, our precinct. Now it's by precincts or districts, right? It's precincts. It's, it's precincts, George, yes, sir. And uh, you're, you're precinct number two. So, you know, in a way you, you, make, you make sense there, Mr. Samora, because you know, you wanna, uh, you know, yeah, you know the name, but you, when you get to know the person that we're going to know you today, it makes it better to communicate. I have a saying, missed, no communication leads to bis, uh, miscommunication. And like you said, that constable never reached out to you. And I think that's part of public service. Uh, it, it, regardless what office, is it constable or mayor? Reach right. out to your constituents. If they have an issue, respond in kind and say, okay, right. not just, oh, whatever, the next. And I think that's what happens a lot in public service is that they, pe uh, people in general just, or public officials just forget. Right. You know, that we, that, you know, if you get elected, you're working for us. You're our That's correct. And the thing is that, uh, but let me ask you one more thing. Um, in your time, in, 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 in uh, you said 20 years, is that the only time you saw a constable or did you ever see him driving around? Or, I mean, was he, and I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just, just want to give an example. No, you're not being negative. You know, this is where the truth needs to come out. Because when somebody gets elected, um, they need to make themselves prevalent to the community so the community knows who they are. Me personally, and anybody you talk to uh, in the Northeast, um, and I've been in the Northeast a lot, I know this community. And I'm very, I'm a very approachable person. I'm very personal. Um, I, I go out of my way to help people. I go above and beyond it. And, and it's not, it's not because I, I'm a police officer. It's because me being a human being, um, my mother taught me to go above and beyond to help somebody in need, whether, you know, they need a place to stay, whether they need, you know, help them financially, you know, refer them to the right people. So um, that's, it's all about, you know what? It's not about me, George, uh, being elected. It's about our community. It's about the it's about the youth and the kids that live in this community. Um, I think, uh, you know, the we as as constables or deputy constables, if I get in there, I want to make sure that we're reaching out to the kids and to the high schools to make sure that hey, you guys are important to our community. You guys are our future. You know, sure. um, so. I just don't think enough that's happened. I know the constables are busy. I get it. Um, speaking with some of the deputy constables, um, they do stay busy, you know, with the courts, with the, 
well now not so much the evictions because of the uh because of this COVID we're going through and plus the cdc just extended it through the year um which i'll be honest with you um i'm glad uh to be honest because it, it broke my heart there was a there was a there was a case out of houston the other day where a const deputy constable went to evict uh, an entire family george a young man and 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 his wife and and two or three kids and they're out on the streets um i get it he 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 uh said it was his fault you know he'd been behind a thousand dollars in rent um you know but and then there was another story of an elderly lady elderly african-american lady uh we don't do the we don't do things like that to to people george before you evict somebody and i know the judge has the final say we need to see what kind of underlying conditions they are sure. we need to try let me share a, a story that happened to a constable <laughs> on the east side. He came across a veteran, a military veteran that was being getting ready to get evicted. You know what? He didn't serve that eviction, George. He made some phone calls to the families, and they weren't in El Paso. He waited for the families to take care of that veteran to come and get him, so he didn't have to put him out on the streets. Wow. That's what life. That's what a, that's what a public servant's supposed to be doing. We have to have. Empathy, George. Okay. Wait, 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 have... Let me stop you there. And I'm, I'm glad you're saying that because during my time during this, I've been doing this several years on different platforms, uh, um, talking to candidates from congressional to mayors to et cetera, et cetera. And you know the person, uh, and I'm talking to the people that are listening, not to you, Mr. Samora, the people are listening and watching. And we, you hear, you see the person for whatever time you try to capture the character of the person and until you know like the background and what I'm getting to Mr. Zamora um, where I work at um, our field investigator he's a former police officer so I always ask him hey do you know this person oh yeah do you know this person do you know he goes yeah yeah you know you're the first person Mr. Zamora I can honestly say that he said that you were one hell of a cop he put cop in big letters <laughs> and you know he retired from the police off you know police force too so that gave a lot of context to what you're saying because you're not just talking just to, for you know to be elected I right think, just in my personal opinion folks you know just in my experience and <clears throat> what i'm saying what regarding our field investigator when he said about you mr somora so that's, that gave a lot of prevalence to what you're saying because you know at the end of the day a character really builds a person and how you interact with individuals, especially constituents. And I think what you're saying is, is you know, not everything has to be black and white. Here's an eviction notice, you're out. You right. Be that way. And I think that you're looking beyond the box. And, every, you know, I think people appreciate that and, and hopefully realize that and go out and vote on November. Uh, as, are there any other candidates, Mr. Zamora, right now that you know? There, there is, George. I've got a, uh, I've got a uh, gentleman by the name of Edward Senate. Um, He's running on the other ticket. Um, so, uh, you know, we, I do have an opponent in this in this election on this. Um, so, but getting back to me, George, you know, there's one thing I try to tell the younger officers, PD officers, um, and <clears throat> this is so true, because um, I get teased a lot at work saying, you know, Danny, every time I go somewhere, they're mentioning your name. Mm -hmm. I said, look, just because you get upset because you hear my name out there, stop and 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 listen to what people have to say they just want somebody that's going to listen just because we wear a uniform a gun and a badge we're no better than anybody else 
We never have been. We're human just like them. They're going through a crisis right now. And we need to be there and help them whatever way we can. You know, when I was on patrol, I would take my time when it came to kids. And I would stay out on call one, two hours, just talking to somebody to make sure they understand that things will get better. But it's how you take take control of that and move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think, I, you know, I worked uh, off duty at the Whataburgers, uh, one on Lee Trevino and the one here on on uh, Trans Mountain for 12 years. Oh, um, so you're the one that kicked me out there. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there was a actually there was a uh, a gentleman that uh, was blind that came in there. I didn't get his name. Uh, he would come in there a couple weeks at a uh, a time, and he would just have me laugh. And he, I would sit down with him, and that's me, George. When I would when I would meet these people at Waterberg, and I worked from midnight to four in the morning, so that's when all your drunks were coming in, or just the kids, you know, out of high school, the football games and all that stuff. But you know. I would sit down and talk to them. I wouldn't stand there. I wouldn't stand. I got, it looks like I got a, uh, it says here, Miguel, love Mr. Zamora's attitude as far as change comes from within. This is what we need. Good luck, sir. You have my vote. Well, thank you, Miguel. See, George, this is a type of stuff that, <clears throat> that touches me. Because I know I've made a difference in the community. But, and that's what I want to do. I'm going to continue serving the community if elected. Because I feel, you know what? I've done so much in life and I've been rewarded seven times over. And now it's time for me to give back. And that's, that's, that's me. I'm not going to pretend to be somebody I'm not. And people that you talk to, if you talk to citizens that know me in Northeast, they're gonna, they're gonna tell you what type of person I am. Mm-hmm. You have a passion, Mr. Samora, and, and and that's one thing that I bet you, like you said, you're running for this or that. But I think the passion really what makes it. You love your community, and it shows. It shows. You're not faking it. You're. It's. it's I, I know because I'm. I'm like that. I were. I'm very passionate for my. my I'm worse than my wife sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is. So I know what the passion is. Like for me, when it comes to disability rights, I have that passion. People tell me, "What? Why do you do it?" Just that love, that love for the community, which you have, and and the thing is that and that, that comes through. That comes through very clear on this conversation. Before I forget, Mister Somebody, you're saying that your daughter has Down syndrome. She does. My cousin, um, my cousin has huh? Down syndrome. My cousin has Down syndrome, and I tell you what, yay! You people give them that they're not smart. She's a very smart little girl. Oh, trust me. She- She's one of my bigger supporters too. Right? <laughs> I tell you what. <laughs> but let's go back to you. If someone wants to volunteer, because I am, I believe I'm showing your um, social media on the ticker. I hope I am. Yes, uh, you are. So if someone wants to donate or volunteer, I mean, well, let me ask you this. When it comes to Constable, you, I guess you're going to educate us. Can we donate to a campaign, to your campaign? You, you can. I, I, you know, I, I have, uh, just go to, uh, Zamora for Constable JP2.com. Uh, that's my webpage. Uh, and they can donate there or read up on me. Um, so that's how they can do that. Or if they just want to help out, you know, I've got so many people actually uh, that's helped me out. A lot of my nieces that uh, went to school here, the Soto family, they've helped out. Uh, my granddaughters, 
Um, so I've got a lot of people that are trying to help, but with this COVID stuff, yeah. um, you know, it's just been real hard. So I've had to really re think outside the box on doing things. Uh, but like I said, I've been blessed. Uh, a lot of people have my number. Um, my, you know, it's on my webpage. I, I don't hide my number. I don't let little things that worry me being a police officer. I, you know, I don't worry about little things like that. Cause I, I feel that, um, you know, the, the way I have a rapport with people, I've, you know, it, you know how some, some people just don't like to share their personal information. Um, <laughs> I, there's certain extents that I won't. But most of the time, people that I've known for over the years, uh, I don't have I don't have a problem with it because, like I said, you know, I've been rewarded uh, seven times over, and now it's time for me to give back Amen. to the community. Now, Mr. Co Mr. Uh, Zamora, the constable, um, I'll ask you this earlier. I just thought of right now. Uh, is that um, is that a county? I mean, is it like um, is it Patriot County funds or state funds or Como? How is that? It's a county. It, it's a county elected position. And you are paid through the through the El Paso County. So um, you don't deal with the city council. It, it's a county commissioner's court that uh, the elected uh, constable has to deal with when it comes to budget and stuff like that. Uh, matter of fact, uh, the budget in JP2 is, is, is pretty small compared to, let's say, Precinct 1 because of the or even Precinct 5 or 6 over on the east side. Uh, and we only have here in the in JP two they have the constable of course and then they have the sergeant and then and then two deputy constables. Uh, so that's the uh, manpower and and each precinct is different, George. So okay. it depends on how big the office is, depends and the and the budget. Okay, but for you being in precinct two, uh, just so people can know like a bigger picture of the office. Is there? A, do you have a staff, or will you be like your know, individual person? How does that work? No, I have a staff. Uh, basically, it, this is how I relate to people. That people don't understand how the constable's office works. Um, the constable is something similar to the sheriff. Now, I know the sheriff is a lot bigger department. So the sheriff is in an elected position, and he has all these deputy constables plus the jailers underneath him, his staff. The constables each precinct has an administrative assistant. And then law enforcement officers other uh, under him or her. So we're our own entity. So I'll have my own little small police department per se here in the Northeast. I'll be in charge of that. What pulls you apart, or what stands you apart from the other candidates? So the voters know, because this is our more, our main perspective here right now, anyways, for the show mm -hmm. to educate voters. So what, right. having said that, what stands you apart from the other candidates? Okay, first of all, um, I know how the budget works. It doesn't work with the city council, uh, which he thinks it does. Um, I don't know where he got that information from. Um, second of all is I've been in the community 20-plus uh, years. I know the community. I know the streets of El Paso. I know the families of El Paso that I've uh, been able to uh, become friends with, and they became friends with my family. So it's a family affair. Um, so I know the families, I've watched them grow up and have kids and their kids have kids. Uh, and I, I don't think that my opponent has the experience that I have in law enforcement, the criminal side, or being a police officer. I know he states that he was a police officer somewhere down South Texas. And then he was a police officer on DOD. Um, but 
uh, I don't, he does, I don't, and I'm, I'm going to boast a little bit by myself. He doesn't have the experience I have as a 20 year one city police officer working for the best department I believe in the nation. And that's El Paso Police Department and the chief and Chief Allen. So I know how the department was, you know, pretty much ran as far as what patrol officers are supposed to do. Um, and, you know, when it comes to uh, a lot of things that come from criminal and civil, uh, I can distinguish between those. But I think the biggest thing is my my uh, honesty and my dedication and uh, just the way I am with people. Uh, I truly love this community. And I think that distinguishes me a lot from him uh, on, on that part. Coming from a voter's perspective, I want to say this. Uh, sometimes I, I put my own commentary into the discussion. Is that, you know, having a person with experience trumps a lot of things. What I mean is you've been 20 years. To me, that's a benefit because especially being in the Northeast, that helps me understand, okay, Mr. Zamora is not just, he hasn't been here for the past four years or, you know, he's he's been in Lower Valley precinct or he's been in Upper Valley or downtown. He's been in the these all these years. So he knows my community. I don't live in the but I, that's what I would say, talking to the voters. And the thing is they need to understand that we want to show candidates are viable uh, candidates or answers for the problems in Northeast and mind you, the constable has a particular uh, uh, duty that he serves, he or she serves, regarding the, you know how they implement their jobs. But you having that experience, Mr. Somora, helps in, uh, in mitigating any other problems that might come up. And what I mean by that is, like you just said, you know, you know how to tell the difference between a criminal and a civil. And, and that's a lot, and especially if you're, you're a constable, because that's your job. You're, 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 you're mainly on the civil side, right? Yes, that's correct. And, and, that's I, and I want to touch on it just a little bit, George. I know you're running out of time. No, no, no. Um, we, we have time. I mean, you're, the, we're, here, uh, here's a problem. And working the streets of Northeast, working the desk uh, for so many years, and uh, I'm also, you know, I've got a, a history, uh, you know, mental illness personnel, people that I've came in contact with. I'm a, you know, ex-hostage negotiator. Um, so... You know what, when I've seen so many problems come to the Northeast that should be related over to the constable's office, and, and that's where I'm going to come in. And I want to try to fill that gap, work with the uh, Northeast Police Station and its officers and the administration. Because the men and women here in the Northeast, they have more uh, priority calls, hotter calls to go to than worry about a civil call yeah. that, you know, and why are we going to keep a citizen waiting uh, in the lobby on a civil call when it could be handled by the, 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 uh, the constable's office? You're right. And that's another, what you just said, uh, you know what, I think that's a, it's a prevalent issue not only here in El Paso, but nationwide. Uh, well, in law enforcement period is the interaction of law enforcement with individuals that have a, a, a mental uh, a disability, because mm -hmm. they, if you're not, um, experienced in that, you're not going to know what to do. And having that experience, going back to what you said, 20 years experience, that in itself should be a, a dead ringer for election because mental health 
when someone uh, is having a mental health episode, they exhibit a lot of you know um, characters or, or um, what's that thing you want to say um, actions that the police officer knows how to handle. But if someone's not experienced, like let's say an unexperienced constable, when they come to serve someone, that could result in something else deadly. And that's even yes. an experience. I think that helps a lot too, mitigate any potential problems. So, yes, and I, and I don't know. A lot of people don't know George, um, but our department um, just last year um, uh, we do have a mental health unit um, where officers ride around with um, certified social workers. Um, so if the if if a patrol officer is out on the streets, um, we're we're trained to look at certain things but then we have our C, what we call our CIT unit and they're they're they get trained even more they go through more classes when than the normal patrol officer and they work side by side in the patrol unit with a social worker so we'll we'll ask for their help and they actually come to the scene and they take over that that person that has that mental illness so that so that leaves the the police officer you know, to go free to go answer other calls. And that's that's where the deputy constables or the constable's office comes in. If we come across that, then at least I can pick up the phone and say, hey, let's ask, you know, our, our fellow law enforcement uh, officers to help us out. They have a unit specifically for the mental health. There's mm -hmm. no need for us to go hands-on with somebody that's just going through a crisis. If, you know, at the time, if we just de-escalate things and let the mental health unit uh, come in and help. You said it just escalate, escalate can say the word. Just, yep. just, yeah. Um, well, folks, you know, at the end of the day, we have to go out there. Okay, I'll say this over and over because our turnout percentage is very, very low here in El Paso. Now, with this pandemic, I hope people take advantage of mail in ballot. And uh, what number are you on the ballot, Mr. Uh, Zamora, regarding that? You know what, George? I didn't even look. All I know is uh, just look at the D for Democrat. And the R for Republican. That's all I can say. <laughs> no, 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 no. They need to look for the D for Danny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. DD. DD for know. Danny Zamora. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Zamora, yeah. before, before we leave you, is there anything else you want to say, sir? George, um, the last thing I want to say is I just want a couple things. I want to say, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. Um, you've been a tremendous asset to not only, um, you know, the, 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 our ADA people, but the community and all. Um, and second of all, I want to. I just want to thank the entire city of El Paso for standing behind the men and women in law enforcement here, because we don't have the issues that other uh, cities are having. And most important, I want to thank the citizens of the Northeast, particularly the Northeast where I was raised, pretty much grew up with as a police officer. I want to thank them for their unwaveringly support. And, of course, my unwaverly support of my wife of 30 years, Martha. She's been wonderful to me. Hey, but they, uh, the woman, how do you say the woman builds the man? How, how does that thing go? I forgot how that thing goes. Like, you uh, I don't know. You teach me, George. I don't know that I one. That, but, like, my wife my wife has been my supporter and, and my, you know, my crazy thoughts. I want to do that to show. And uh, <laughs> right now, taking care of our dogs so they won't be yelling. But, Mr. Samora, it's an honor to have you. Thank you so much for your, not only for your service as a police officer, but as a veteran, 20 years in the military also. Um, I thank you for that, sir, because it's not many times that we do have an opportunity to say thank you. And I say thank you on behalf of me and, and many other people I bet that are watching. 
so next week we're gonna have uh, Lydia, Lydia, Lida uh, Garcia. She's yes, Garcia for three thirty-eight, and then the following week we're gonna have Oscar Leeser, and then October tenth we're gonna have uh, Congressman Veronica Escobar. So, Mr. Zamora, God bless you, sir. Uh, be careful. And everyone watching, thank you for watching, and we shall see you next week. Thank you, George. God bless you and your family. You too, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.